He's lost everything. Of course he's sad. But even in his loss, he recognizes God needs to be, God deserves to be worshipped. And his response to that is, Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away, as we are looking to unleash God's Word in its entirety, from beginning to end, and unlock the power within the pages of Scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's Word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. So the book of Job, this is a really interesting book. We don't know who the author is, and we don't know when it was written. Based on some of the clues in the text, for instance, the land of Uz, in the very first verse, gives us some insight that it it seems like it was written during the patriarchal period. Most scholars put this around the same time as Abraham's life in the early to middle Bronze Age. And that's because some of those textual clues like that, because later in time, that would have been called Edom, which is named after Esau, Jacob's brother. So historically, this is the second oldest book because Genesis goes all the way back to creation. But in terms of authorship, this is the oldest book in the Bible meaning it was written the longest time ago. This is older than Genesis. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Genesis was written by Moses. So Moses is accounting things that happened before his life started. So he's counting from creation, and he goes into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's taking some of the oral history and whatever God guides him to write is what he writes. Job is likely written around the time of Abraham, several generations before Moses. So this is the oldest text in the scriptures. So you'll notice that there's no, throughout the entire book, even when people are talking to Job and trying to understand what's happening to him, they don't reference the law of Moses because it doesn't exist yet. They're using textual clues like geographical locations that don't fit into the later narrative after the promised land has been taken and after Jacob and Esau have been born because it's from a prior time. Job was around likely around the same time as Abraham. And there's really three major sections in the book. The first two chapters, which is what we're covering today, and then really chapter 3 to about chapter 32 is just a really long conversation between Job and a few of his friends as his friends are really trying to discern what is going on with Job. Why is 
everything that's happening to him happening to him. Uh, and then the last section, the last 10 chapters of the book of Job, are really God's response to Job. And so we're hopefully going to have three to four sessions on this book because the middle section is so gigantic, we might have to break that up into a couple of sessions. Those are the three main areas of the book of Job. And it deals with a really important question, which is suffering. Why does suffering happen? And there's a couple of things about this book. One, you may or may not like the answer of why suffering happens, but it doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't address it. God does address this. And so that's really the main theme of the book is suffering uh, until the last 10 chapters, which is God's response. So chapter one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now, before we go any further, Job might, might not actually be his, his name. Job means hated or oppressed. So this might have actually been a nickname given to him because of the circumstances we are about to read. It might have also been his actual name, but based on who Job really was before his affliction, it's possible that Job wasn't actually his name, but they're just describing what happens to him through his name. But anyway, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. I really like just the first verse because we find out a whole lot. We find out where this is, where it's happening. Uh, the land of Uz gets us, gives us a clue to the date in that it happened before Edom was settled, so it's likely around the time of Abraham. We find out some insight into Job just through his name and that his name means hated. But we find out that his, he was really a righteous guy. And he was righteous partly because of his attitude of fearing God and shunning evil. And the fear of God is something that I don't know that we talk about enough. And Solomon says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, that's true. But what is the fear of God? It's not cowering in a corner. Although, when you understand who God is, I could understand why you would want to do that because of the mighty power and awesome nature of who he is. But he's also loving and merciful and compassionate. What it is, is really a respect. And I think of it this way. And I'm sure you've heard this line before, maybe when you were a kid, or maybe you've used it on your kids. Wait until your father gets home, right? Or wait until your mother gets home, one or the other. Your kids know that, uh-oh, the moral authority is walking into the house, and I'm going to have to deal with the consequences of my actions. It's not that you don't love or that you're actually cowering in fear. It's that you have a relationship with this person, and as long as it's a healthy relationship, and you don't want to let them down. And using a statement like that often puts perspective into a child in that what they're doing is going to disappoint someone that they have deep respect for. And that's the idea. Job had deep respect and fear of God. And we're going to see some of that right away. So he had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. 
Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So what they're telling you is his wealth, because the economy during this age was based on how blessed you were with children, uh, livestock, and land. And he had the most. Now his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send an invite to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt uh, offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So what is happening? Well, Job has 10 kids, seven sons, three daughters. Every year on their birthdays, they would throw a feast and hang out with each other. And Job basically recognizes that sometimes when the people you care about the most and are the most close to, you let down your guard, and sometimes you get a little disrespectful, or you're more free to say things. Maybe you gossip. Who knows what's going on? But he recognizes that sometimes that atmosphere of those feasts might cause something negative to come out of that, that party. And so every, at least 10 times a year, or at least seven times a year, he offers sacrifices for his children. Because not only is Job a righteous man, but he cares about the righteousness of his children. He really takes care of everyone around him because that's the heart of Job. That's who he is. And so he did this regularly. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them. Now this is an important verse. So what we find out is there was a day when the Benai Elohim, that's the Hebrew, and it's translated as sons of God, which often is referring to spiritual beings. It can and may be referred to like chosen ones or people whom God has chosen, but it's often referring to the heavenly host or the spiritual beings that God has created. And so angels, demons, fallen angels, all there, right? And so this is the council around them, all of these spiritual beings. And they've pre presented themselves before Yahweh, before God. And Satan the accuser, which is what his name means, also comes with them. And now the Lord said to Satan, which the accuser, from where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on earth and walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So the scene is, Apparently, what we get just from the very first chapter in Job is that fallen angels, including Satan, still have access to the throne room of God in some way. They still have a way to communicate with him. And Satan is now doing his job. His name means accuser. And he's accusing the people of earth of being sinful. Well, the thing is, he's not wrong. But God says, what about Job? 
it would be really great if the book ended there because then it would be really positive message to say, we should be like Job. You know, how much do you want God to brag on you in front of the heavenly host because of how righteous you are? Now, I still think that's true, but just recognize the spiritual game that you're in the middle of because spiritual warfare is real, and here it goes. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now this is where we get the idea of praying for a hedge of protection, because Job had basically been insulated from harshness. He's been blessed by God so much because of how righteous Job is. And now Satan's basically saying, God, well, you've protected him so much. Of course he loves you. Look at everything he's got. He's wealthy. He has all these kids. He's got all this land. He's got all this livestock. I'd be happy too if I was him. I'd love you too. So now, Satan says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on this person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So God allows Job to be tested. He allows suffering to happen in Job's life. Well, that might not be the picture that we always had, but it's here. It's in black and white. And God allows suffering to happen, and he, he gives Satan the right, the ability to mess with Job. But he says, you can take away anything he has. You can do whatever you want, but don't touch him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eat, eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. So likely one of their birthdays, probably the oldest brother. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So he finds out one of his, his, his fields were completely raided, his oxes and donkeys were taken away from him, and all of his servants except for this one who survived to tell Job, that everything's gone. While he was still speaking, another one also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. So now another in another field, apparently fire from heaven fell. And he this guy blames it on God, but we do know that Satan's the one pulling the tricks, right? And he says, all of the sheep have burned up and all of your servants out there. I am the only one left. And he survived to come tell Job. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servant, the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So now a third servant has come to tell him all of his camels have been taken away. And while he was still speaking, another one also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came and struck uh, came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they're all dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. So now four servants have come to tell him that his oxen, his donkeys, his 
sheep, his camels, and all of his children are gone, all taken away from him in a moment, one after the other, servant coming to him, telling him all the bad news. Now this is Job's response, and this gives us some insight into a lot. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. It doesn't say he grieved. It doesn't say he praised God. But he still recognized that God deserved to be worshipped. And he didn't just tear his robe and make a little cut in it. He ripped it off. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor chain, nor charge God with with wrong. And so Job's response is, he's grieving. He tears his clothes because he's grieving. He's lost everything. Of course, he's sad. But even in his loss, he recognizes God needs to be. God deserves to be worshipped. And his response to that is, I came into this world with nothing but what God has given me. Everything I've obtained from that point forward. I've only obtained because God has allowed me to. God gave me the skills. God gave me my inheritance. God gave me everything. And God has the right to take it away because it all belongs to him anyway, not me. And so he recognized that whatever you get from God is icing on the cake and a blessing. And he says, God has the ability to take it away. I still have my life. And then he says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, second chapter. Again, there was a day when the sons of God, the heavenly host, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, "Where, from where do you come? And Satan answered in the Lord, the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Now he says, look, look what you've done. You've challenged me. Job still hasn't cursed me. He still is sinless and blameless. He's still a righteous man, even though you've taken everything from him. But Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So he says, Okay, you can do what you want to him, but you cannot take his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head from head to toe. And he took for himself a potsherd and with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. So he's in pain and he's itchy and he's got these boils all over him. And he, he takes this thing and rubs it in the ashes to scrape off the boils to give him whatever kind of relief he might be able to have He's lost everything, his entire family. The only person he has left in his life is his wife. And now he's covered with head to toe, with with boils and sores. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So now the only person left in his life, in his family, 
is his wife, and she goes against him. And she says, why don't you just curse God and die already? You have nothing left. Everything's been taken from you. You're now unhealthy. What's the point of all this? Why are you still clinging and worshiping God? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So Job's response is basically, God gave us life. Everything we ever had came from him. Are you so not thankful for that anymore? Yeah, it might be gone now, but we got to experience 10 kids. We got to experience a nice house and land. We got to experience all this wealth and livestock. God gave all of that to us. And just because he took it away doesn't mean that God isn't good. And God has the right to do what he wants with us. Why, why do you expect everything to be good all the time? Life doesn't work like that. Job seemed to understand something that many don't. Now, it is true that some things are easier because you have God in your life. Because you have a shoulder to lean on, maybe. Because you have someone to pray to who you know is bigger than the problems that you're facing. But that doesn't mean that everything's going to be good all the time. In fact, Jesus' very words were, in this world, you will have trouble. Not if, but when you have trouble. You will have trouble. He said, the world will hate you because it hated me first. So to think that everything's going to be hunky-dory all the time is not actually biblical. God actually promises that in this broken world, we're going to experience brokenness, which is, shouldn't shock us. But the question is, do we actually recognize the thing that Job recognized? Job recognized that everything came from God. Every skill you have came from how God wired you. God wrote your DNA code and gave you the skills and the natural tendencies and gifts that you have that allow you to do what you do. Do you thank him for that? And if one day something goes away, are you still thankful for him and what he gave you anyway? We know that eternity also is the answer to the suffering. But now, in all of his grief, and his wife has cursed him, Job has three friends show up in verse 11. It says, when Job's three friends heard of all of this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him, to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So before we go into the next section over the next couple of weeks where his friends talk to him, um, his friends get a bad rap, and they should, because they give, they give Job really bad advice a lot of the time. And that's what we're going to see over the next... 30, almost 30 chapters of this book. But for the first seven days, they wept with him. They mourned with him, and they did the right thing. I don't know if you've ever felt that before, but felt the grief 
where you just don't want anyone to talk to you, but it is nice to have someone there. And you know that's something I think a lot of us could learn. I know me in particular, I like to fix things. So it's hard for me to not talk when I think I have an answer. But sometimes just being there for somebody is the right thing, and that's what his friends do. So what we witnessed here in this section is the suffering of Job. And is there a reason for Job's suffering? Is there something Job did that made him deserve it? No. This is why there's this common phrase that gets used where people say everything happens for a reason. That's not a biblical phrase. That doesn't come from a biblical idea. In fact, there is no reason given to why Job goes through this at all. And this would be a very depressing book if it wasn't for the last 10 chapters. So right now it might be depressing. It might seem daunting. Uh, it might seem like you have a lot of questions, but the truth is, do you look at everything as a blessing? Anything that God has given you as his? Or if something gets taken away, do you think he's taken away something that's yours? Or do you recognize that everything you have came from what God has given you? And so it's really his anyway. It's his to do what he wishes to do with it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't receive blessing in the end, which we will see with Job, he certainly does. But suffering is not an easy concept, and it's not always something that the way that the Bible addresses it isn't necessarily a fun way to respond to it, but I do appreciate Job's words. His recognition that everything was given to him by God, and it's God's to choose what to do with. And that makes me think of Jesus' words where he says, Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and everything else will be given unto you. You're seeking God first, and that's really your mission. Then everything else is just a bonus. But if you're seeking stuff or comfort or wealth or whatever of this world, and then you try to add God to it, that's kind of the wrong way to approach it. Because what do you need God for <laughs> um, other than eternity? So if God is just fire insurance to you, do you really worship him? Do you really love him? Um, and Job seems to love God even in despair. He doesn't understand why what's happening to him is happening to him. It also gives us some insight into the difference between worship and praise. Might not always be able to praise God because times get hard, but that doesn't mean that you can't worship him because of the recognition of who he is even when times are difficult. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Um, thank you for these this first two chapters of Job. Uh, I know it feels to me even like there's a lack of conclusion. And it's tough that we can't go through all 42 chapters tonight. But God, this is a, this is a good test. Just because something doesn't make sense doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to you. We don't have the benefit of your perspective. We can't see the end from the beginning, but you can. 
And so God, help us as we go through this book to help us build trust in who you are and know that even when it doesn't make sense to us, your judgment is trustworthy. And your judgment is right because it's all yours to give and take away anyway. Pray that we can learn this lesson in Jesus' name. Amen.